Hey, it's Jeff and Jeremy from the Ultra Running Guys. And if you're here, you probably already know that we started this podcast to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. And we just wanted to take a moment to say thank you and let you know how much we appreciate you being part of the Ultra Running Guys community because we know there are a million other ways you could choose to spend this time. We love hearing from you. We're always trying to improve. So if you have guest suggestions or feedback, hit us up through social media or reach out to us at the ultra running guys at gmail.com. And again, thanks for plugging in. And with that, enjoy the episode. And remember, when in doubt, just show up. Sometimes you don't really realize what you're made of until you're pushed. And that's what I love about the ultra community or just the concept so much is that you really get to go out, whether it's a 50K, 50 miler, 100 miler, everything in between, you really get to go and find out what you're made of. And I think that you have to be under some kind of discomfort or adversity to really feel out those dark crevices of who you are. So it's such a fun opportunity for self-exploration. And welcome back to the Ultra Running Guys. You got Jeremy Reynolds and Jeff Winchester of the Ultra Running Guys. And the reason that we're here is to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. And so as always, if you're coming back to us, we appreciate you so much. We love the reviews, the ratings, all that. Give us a good one so that we can post it and read it and share it with the rest of you. But enough with all that. Let's get into the guest. So tonight's episode is a really special one because not only is tonight's guest an amazing runner, but she is also a personal friend that we've been lucky enough to get to know over the past few years. And while she is probably one of the kindest people you could ever come across, she is also one of the toughest with an affinity for technical mountain terrain and an ability to grit her way through the most challenging of circumstances. Her running resume includes impressive finishes at the Grayson Highlands 50 miler, the Pikes Peak Ultra 50 miler, a win at the brutal Uari 100K, and a gut-wrenching DNF at mile 99 of the Grindstone 100 just a few weeks back. So close. Which you know we are dying to talk to her about. She will also be taking on the Beast of the East 100 miler on December 9th that we just featured on our Race Spotlight series. And if you listened, you know that race is no joke. We continue to be impressed, so stick around because we have no doubt that you will be impressed as well. And with that, we would like to introduce you to our friend, Avery Matthews. Avery, welcome to the show. No, oh, thank you guys for having me. That was a very thoughtful introduction. Well, you earned it. And uh, for everybody listening, she also learned the, the Patience of the Year Award because we had some technical difficulties <laughs> getting started, but she's been a, a good sport. Just a few. Yeah. <laughs> just a few. Don't give any future guests any concerns, which just a very small, minor hiccup. Yeah, it wasn't bad. So there, there's so much we want to talk about. I mentioned uh, Grindstone. You got Beast of the East. There are some other things that we have on the list that we really want to go through, kind of get to know sure. who you are. But we're going to start like we do with a lot of people and kind of your running story. But I'm interested. I mentioned we met you know a little while back. Do you remember the first time that we met? Because I thought that was kind of I was going to ask you if you remember that story. <laughs> so, um, so tell the listeners all about it. <laughs> okay, so uh, I was running, uh, there's a sort of dirt road trail in Brunswick Forest, so in your neighborhood, and I had actually stopped to go to the bathroom, like off trail, <laughs> so I went, I did my business, and I popped back out, and Jeremy was actually running right behind me, um, and we, we met that way. Yeah, it was, it was so funny because, I mean, there's really nobody ever back there, right? Maybe a car that nope. kind of goes in. No, there's not, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, how awkward. <laughs> Except for me, apparently. That's awkward. But, uh, yeah, so I'm running down this dirt road, and out of somewhere where there's no road or anything, I see this random girl jump onto the road, and I was like, uh, who is she and where did she come from? And we ended up talking. We had seen each other on Strava and, and that kind of thing. And, yeah, it kind of went from there. So I thought that was that was funny, but um, I will say too, you were very polite because you kind of came up behind me and I saw you when I popped out of the woods, but I didn't say anything. 
And some guys, when they run behind women, they'll either get too close or they kind of veer off and they just, they're in their zone. But you were really polite. And I think you said something like, on your left, or I'm right behind you. Yeah. Look at that I trail courtesy. Was, yeah, he was. It was nice. So, men, if you're listening and you have a lady pop out of the woods, it's very polite to just let her know you're back there. I didn't want to scare you for yeah. sure, but I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So, all right, well, let's get into it. Uh, like we said, you've got some big accomplishments. You're up to some great things, but I'm interested. Take us back. Like, how did you first start running? Mm, I've been running unofficially since I was a kid. So not official races or 5Ks. I hated track in school. I just didn't like the structure or the organization of it. And so I would just run outside. We had woods behind our house and I would go out and stay out so dark and just run around like a crazy kid. Um, my granddad was hired and he bought a cattle ranch. We were from Texas originally. And I would go up there on the weekends and the summers and pretend I was either a horse or a coyote. And just like, he would turn me loose. And I would stay out all day and just run until I couldn't go anymore. When you start calling her coyote, coyote. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's so yeah, awesome. So there wasn't a lot of structure to it. It was very unofficial. Like it was kind of my own space. I had a lot of structure in other areas of my life. So to have an area where I could just go and do my own thing and make it whatever I want it to be was really special. Uh, so I'm just curious then, how do you make the leap from being a coyote on a ranch to running ultras? Oh gosh, uh, COVID actually, like everything shut down and we had nothing to do. And so I had a friend that wanted to trade for a marathon. I thought she was crazy. Um, and she's like, no, really, you should come and let's do this thing. And so we started training and then COVID really picked up and everything shut down. And we were like, well, there's no races we can officially enter and do. So we decided to kind of do our own thing. And I ran in our neighborhood. Um, and it's the art. So we live in Wedgwood. It's a small neighborhood. You really can't get away with doing more than a mile and a half without doing repeats. So we did, well, I did repeats for, I don't know, 13 repeats or so at night. Wow. Or, yeah, on my own. Uh, I know that there was a main event, right? So F3, who's a group we've talked to, I guess several times on the show, they put on a local event. I didn't even know about it. And I was tracking last man standing type of stuff, but I know that that was kind of during COVID. I think that was an event that kind of introduced you to ultra. Tell us about that. It was. So I had friends that moved from Colorado and the husband was in F3. And he said, after we ran the marathon, he's like, hey, there's this race that's on trails. You should come out and do it. I thought, okay, that sounds like fun. He didn't tell me that it was with F3 and that it was all dudes. Um, and he didn't really tell me what to expect. Just come out. We're going to have food. We're going to run some loops. You'll really like it. Uh, and I came out and ran some loops. And it was so much fun. Um, I think that's where I really fell in love with trails and just with the concept of, okay, you can push yourselves more than you initially think you could. So was that your first exposure to an actual ultra event? It was. Yeah. And I think it was called El Chupacabra or something crazy like that. And they had this stuffed dead animal. I don't even know what it was. And every lap that we would make, they'd write our names on the board and kind of acknowledge the stuffed chupacabra animal. It was, it was pretty fun. I think we talked about that actual event with one of our former guests, Nate Christie. I think he may have been at that actual run. I think so. That name sounds familiar. Because I think he talked about that same thing, about signing their name to some carcass-like animal. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So to me, that makes the link, right? From being a coyote on a ranch to getting on trails. like, And it's funny. Like we don't know each other extremely well, but, but we've been around each other enough that when I read that, cause you put that in the email, the coyote on the ranch, yeah. I was like, that's so makes sense to me. Like you just, your kind of adventurous spirit, like, Hey, I'm just going to go out and do things and explore. I, I feel like kind of your ultra journey has been a lot like that, but I mean, you just mentioned you fell in love with trails, but what was it about that? And what keeps you coming 
back for ultras? Like why, what, what grabbed you specifically? Mm, that's a good question. I think my head gets really busy um, and it's really loud a lot of the time. And I think there's a Wicked Trails running company. I'm probably butchering the name, but they have a, a motto and they say comfort is a lie. And I feel like that is so true. And it's so easy every day to seek comfort or convenience. And so there's something about going outside, getting out on the trails and just moving your body and shuffling your feet where I feel so free and peaceful. Um, and I can't, I don't know, I cannot channel that feeling any other way. It seems to only come when I'm outside on the trails, moving my feet. Have you always been like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say so. And I think it was really good to process difficult things. If there's something stressful going on in my life, mm -hmm. I hope it, it helps to process it on the news on the go, on the move, out in nature. I have to get off the pavement. Um, and just, I feel very peaceful in my spirit. Have you ever read Born to Run? Yes. Okay. I always, every time I hear something like that, it's that quote, and I'll probably butcher it, but it pretty much says, you know, like if you can't solve your problem on a four hour run, like you're probably not going to solve it. For sure. For sure. Solve the world's problems in my head one mile at a time. No, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. And, and Jeff asked you, have you always been like that? And the comfort is a lie. So we, I, first time I ever saw a wicked trail running, wicked trail running yeah. was yeah. at Umstead. I saw all these shirts and so I started looking into it. So if anybody's listening, go check that out. Um, I agree that that resonates, you know, pretty well with a lot of people, but as you were growing up, uh, from some of the stuff that we've seen on social, you kind of had some other lessons. And so you call them the Scott and Matthews lessons. And you've shared a few of those over the time. And it actually really hit us. And we wanted to talk about them. Look at her face, by the way. She's shocked that we have brought these up. She didn't know this was coming. <laughs> oh, this is good. This is good. It's a nice, nice curveball. Well, we're impressed by them, though. Yeah, very impressed. But I mean, in all transparency, right? Each one of these I read, I was like, oh my gosh, like this makes so much sense to me as to who the Avery is that I've seen, that I've witnessed. Because like I said, I mean, if you're talking to you for the first time, you're kind of quiet, you're very kind, you're very polite, but then I've seen you on the trail and I've seen you do really tough things. And I think I even referenced you in another podcast, you know, you, you run with a knife and, and not necessarily for protection, but because if you have to survive and... <laughs> kill a bear, you know, like I have no doubt that you can do it and or, so, or keep me safe. Right? Yeah, or protect, yes, protect Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> for a statement. But, In but then I, regard. but then I like read these lessons that you posted and I was like, Oh my gosh, it makes so much sense as to the foundation. I think of kind of who you are from my limited perspective. So if you're good with it, let's kind of walk through these. So we're going to go through, there's three of them that we're going to cover. We're just interested in what they mean to you. So the Scott and Matthews lesson, number one, you were made to be great. Where does that come from? And what does it mean to you? Oh, oh goodness. Where does that come from? Um, well, I think it starts just with, in my family growing up, it wasn't so much about the words that you said. It was about your actions. So I feel like my dad is a big part of that. And he didn't teach us through his words. He taught it through what he did. And, um, and just so I, so I learned a lot just by doing um, and by watching him. He went through a lot when he was younger and he got sick with cancer when I was 12. Um, and so just watching him fight that battle was really, really special. What was, okay. can you read a little more? Do you have any more of that post? Sure. That would be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, you're a Scott. Don't forget it. It's from your grandma with the grace. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, I can get context to that then. So she used to be, my grandmother used to be a third grade teacher. And she would always say, practice doesn't make perfect, but it will get you darn close. Um, so she would, I would come home and she would have me practice writing lines or practice cursive. And I mean, I was always at the top percent of my class, but she wanted to make sure that she got the best out of me, not me comparing to other people. 
So like, for instance, in the post, I came home and I think I had a 98% on an English test. And so she would look at it and any other normal parent would say, oh, great job. You know, that was, you know, it's a high A. But she would sit me down and she would ask, well, where's the other 2%? And it was not in a mean way. She didn't chastise me, but hey, what did you not do to give 110% on this? Let's talk about it. You're only as strong as your weakest link. And so she would sit me down and we would go through it. And, um, and then she would expect 100% on the next test. So for something like that, where, like you said, from your grandmother and everything, and it's this idea that you were made to be great. How does that influence you or impact you even today? I'm, I'm assuming something like those types of memories and experiences are things that propel you forward. It may um, impact you as a, as a mom or as a wife, or even in ultra running itself. Like, how does it impact you? Sure. Well, I think it made all the difference to have people believe in me, right? Because if we have good people around us that believe that we can be great, then it's, I think it's a little easier to fulfill that expectation if you have someone that genuinely believes it. Well, and, and so the other thing that really resonated with me in that post, which ties in, obviously. So we, we said, you know, you mentioned that grandma would say, you're Scott, don't forget it. So one, hey, it's who you are. Don't forget to be great. But you said, don't settle for what is good when you are made to pursue what is great. And especially tying in with what we're going to be talking about, some of the things coming up, I was like, oh my gosh, like I can see that playing out in you and your mindset. Um, and that just kind of really hit home with me. So I thought that was an incredible post, but let's move on to lesson number two. To lesson number two, to Scott okay. Matthews lesson number two. And this one, I don't think we're going to have to give you much context, but it's don't quit, don't quit don't quit. And you put just an incredible uh, story yeah. with your dad in the hospital. You already kind of referenced, you know, some of the challenge there, but tell us about the loops in the hospital. Oh, you know, I'm curious to go back and see what the mileage was on his loops because now as a runner, he tracks all of the things. Um, so my dad was moved. He was downgraded to the floor, basically for the terminal patients where you knew that you were waiting for hospice care. A lot of the people on this floor were pretty down um, and pretty hopeless because it was like just waiting to die. And my dad had taken a pretty bad turn and he got in this just mood one night of, I want to walk. I want to walk. I want to get out of the bed. And the doctors thought he was crazy. Um, it took him probably a good half hour of arguing with them because that's kind of who dad was. He wouldn't quit. He wouldn't give up if he was going to do something that he was going to do it. Uh, so he finally wore the oncologist down and the oncologist picked me out of the entire room. Now our whole family is there. Anyone could have helped. And he picked me and he said, I need you to follow him with this. And he gives me a wheelchair. So my dad musters himself out of the hospital bed. You know, he still has the IV pole and everything to sort of lean on like a trekking pole. And I'm charged with following him around the nurse's station. So it just made a, a loop and there were patient rooms all around the loop. Um, and I, we didn't know how far he was going to take it. So he starts walking on his IV pole. And I remember following him with the chair and he makes one loop and we assume he's probably done. You know, that was a good run. Well, he starts to make loop after loop. It's to the point where the patients and all the other rooms actually come out of the doorway and they start cheering him on. And it was just amazing to me. I wish I had kept track of how many loops he made because it was a lot. Uh, but it just changed the whole mood on the floor, kind of going back to like what is greatness. I think so often people settle for their circumstances or they settle for, well, this is as good as it's ever going to get. Um, and if you just really have a belief, of, like what you guys always say, just show up, just show up for yourself, just put in 110% and just try and be surprised what you can actually do. Uh, so that was a really special memory. And I always say it was dad's uh, own personal last man standing. Such a touching story. So for everybody listening, how old are you 
at that time? I was 13. And if I'm not mistaken, so that was obviously a, a big memorable event, but if I'm not mistaken, I think he passed about a week later. Is that? He did. He did. So two questions. One, I want to know how often you think about that day, especially, you know, if that comes up when you're fighting hard things and, and two kind of, obviously we know the title of the lesson, but what did it really teach you that day? It taught me that we are really built to endure and we have a whole nother gear. I think as human beings that we can go to, we just have to be willing to do it. Um, and I'm, I think there's a quote and I'm probably going to butcher it, but it talks about how life is not a peaceful journey to the grave, you know, where you're preserved, but rather you want to slide in broadside and thoroughly used up. Um, and so that's what that taught me. I mean, he did. He died about a week later, but when he died, there was never a doubt in our mind that he didn't just live his life to the fullest, regardless of the circumstances. You can still be sick with cancer. Um, and the physical body is dying, but your spirit can still be so resilient. Um, and he really taught me that that day. So just the resiliency of the spirit. How often do I think about that moment? A lot. I thought about it during grindstone a lot. <laughs> uh, but there were also a lot of other moments just during his treatment and his journey where he could have just settled or quit that he continued to pursue um, the best version of himself and that greatness, even until his death, it was such a testimony to what we can do as people if we just show up and, and believe in our ability. Well, I'll tell you, I think, obviously I didn't know him, but my guess is he would be very proud of the way you continue to set that example uh, in the short oh. time that we've known you. I uh, don't know. I hope so. Yeah, it's incredibly powerful. I think, <clears throat> you know, when you get to know people, you know, there's a lot of things that shape them to who they are and what makes them um, the type of person that they present themselves to the world. And I think, you know, we've talked about two of your life lessons already that you kind of pass along to others through social media, to probably to your kids as well, but really not even so much that you do them for others, but that have been ingrained in yourself uh, and they drive the type of person that you are. And it begins to be seen in the efforts that you kind of put forth as well. So I think it's really powerful. Um, some of the things that have shaped you. Um, and it made you kind of the person that you are. Oh, well, thank you. I think too, to touch on that, sometimes you don't really realize what you're made of until you're pushed. And that's what I love about the ultra community or just the concept so much is that you really get to go out, whether it's a 50K, 50 miler, 100 miler, everything in between, you really get to go and find out what you're made of. And I think that you have to be under some kind of discomfort or adversity to really feel out those dark crevices of who you are. So it's such a fun opportunity for self-exploration. Listen, I think that's great to say, because there's a lot of people who look at doing ultras and they kind of freak out because they're like, I, everybody talks about going into some pain cave that it's going to get really hard. And there's a side of it that is, if you're willing to go there, um, it's not about suffering per se or anything like that. It's really about learning who you are. Um, and what you can go through and really prove to yourself some different things about yourself. And I agree with you 100%. Thank you for saying that. But we would be remiss without mentioning Scott's Matthews lessons number three. So Scott Matthews lesson number three is winning is a good motivator. Failure though. Oh, I love this. <laughs> I remember Failure now. is the best teacher. Um, and it's this idea that you kind of first started recognizing and you, you pointed out about um, celebrating your failures, but also with moments about racing with your dad. Again, I, we've talked about your dad a few times here. He has definitely been hugely instrumental in your life. And I think this speaks to it as well. Oh, no, I agree. I agree. Well, it's so funny because when Jeremy asked me to come on the podcast, we were driving home from Virginia. I was maybe eight hours off of the grindstone, you know, so I was not on the runner side, I had hoped to be, but he texted me and I told him how it went. And he's like, yeah, do you want to come on the podcast? And I was like, oh, and I think I told you, well, maybe I'll finish another hundred miler and then I'll come on the podcast, but let me do something. No, no, no. But um, I talked to Cal to me about it as we were driving home and he said, well, but you know, 
You always talk about failure and how you learn so much from failure. This is a beautiful chance to talk about all of the things that you failed with. Um, and that can encourage someone. I think as a society, we view failure as a negative. And we shouldn't because it's such a beautiful opportunity to learn. And I mean, when wins are great. Finishing the race is wonderful. But I think back to my life, I've learned so much through not completing what I wanted to or learning that just because I trained for X amount of months, that doesn't necessarily guarantee success. And so there's going to be ups and downs and the failure is such a beautiful part of learning to just kind of lean into it and roll with it and keep going. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and so in transparency, right, we had gone back and forth on whether we wanted to ask you on the podcast before you went, but we didn't want to put pressure on you while you were out there just because, you know, we're like, well, we don't want her to be out there thinking, oh my gosh, here's something else I have to consider. But we knew either way, like no matter how it went, we wanted you on. But I'll be honest, when you said I made it to mile 99 and then it was a DNF, I was like, oh, this is going to be such a good conversation, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, well, because you, yeah, but you, because you've been very successful in, in other ultras as well. So it's not that you um, are DNF and race, like you, you've won first place at the 100K for URI. I mean, so you are a legit runner. And so to have experienced something so close like Grindstone that you personally had high expectations for, because you and I have talked yeah. about them, right? Mm -hmm. And getting into some of that, we're, we're going to do that in a minute, but to know that and to be able to talk to you on the backside of this is a huge opportunity kind of for people to kind of see how you can rebound and move forward through an experience like that. So yeah, when this happened, we're like, yeah, you just cemented it. We're definitely going to talk to you. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but like I said before, I mean, I honestly believe it when I say, it. I think you're one of the toughest people I know. So right. I was like, man, I oh, know that that was a battle to get to that point. And as the details came out and we read the post, I was like, wow. So to me, it's epic, right? But but what you said about failure, and I agree. I mean, I think failure hurts, but it also sets us up to come back stronger and teaches us the lessons that we build that strength on. And I know some of my best things that I've accomplished is because I fell short at some point, right? I learned that lesson. I was like, okay, now I've got to like fix some of these sh shortcomings or whatever it is. So I think in the end, to your point, uh, failure really only makes us stronger. So we're going to celebrate sure. well, and I think, I think too, not to be afraid of failure, like not only celebrating it, but when you tell the starting line of a race, you know, just don't be afraid to fail. There's a cars quote, and I'm going to quote this because I have little kids, um, but it's in cars three where McQueen is Audi and he's, he's post wreck and he's not racing. And um, the Porsche, what was her name? Sally, she comes in and she tells him, don't fear failure, fear having the chance. You know, you have the chance. So just being grateful for the opportunity too, right? Because failures are going to come and go, but it opens up a whole new realm of possibilities when you're not afraid to fail. Love it. So good. Yeah. So good. And we, we've talked several times about how these runs are not pass fail, right? They don't determine our destiny. It really is about going out and doing our best. And sure, it's great to come across victorious, but that doesn't mean if it goes the other way, that that's not a win in the long run. So, but with that, all right, so those are the three lessons. Uh, again, hopefully that really gives the listeners some insight uh, that we've had, you know, been lucky enough to see about who you are because we're going to talk about a battle that you just fought, right? So let's talk about the Grindstone 100. So quick overview. We said before already, I, I believe it's a 104 mile race. At least that's what you put in there. 21,000 feet of gain. There's no joke. This is a mountain race. It's single track. It's on the East coast, 36 hour cutoff. This is a UTMB series race. And it also has a nighttime start so this is not like hey this is a great starter you know first 100 kind of thing this is a tough race why grindstone and why tough mountain courses because that seems to be something you're drawn to um it is and we live on the flatland so you have to appreciate the irony in that um i love the mountains because it's so challenging and it's so hard and it's so remote uh, why grindstone? Well, I didn't get into Leadville. I had put in the lottery for that. 
Uh, and then, so I wanted something that was fairly close by. And I feel like the East Coast does not get enough credit for our trails out here and our mountains. They're beefy. Um, it was so it was hard. That's why I picked it. I thought that's a perfect first hundred miler or hundred and four miler. And I really like the night start. He's like the last man standing that we did in January. I, I'm very much a night owl, so I thought that would be pretty entertaining to go into a sleep deprived and sort of get the dirties over with. Because some people, you know, they dread the night section. They know it's coming. I thought it would be fun to just roll with it right out. That stresses me out. <laughs> and, and, well, because I, uh, yeah, I would be nervous going up the side of a mountain when it's dark. And um, for that particular race, it has a 36 hour cutoff. Most runners um, are going to finish 20. I mean, most people are finishing well over 24 hours um, in that. And so you're talking going through the night twice. Yep. Oh, yes. So you've been successful before. Jeff already mentioned, you know, sounded like you had different expectations in the way it turned out, but what were your expectations going in? Like when you showed up, how are you feeling? What were you thinking? Uh, when I started the taper a few weeks before the race, I felt pretty good. And I've been training for this since Uari last year. So since November, and it was just the longest training walk that I've had. I've been running 80 to 90 mile weeks. I was running twice a day. I'm doing strength training, all the things. So I was super stoked. I felt pretty good. I wanted to do it in sub 24. That was my goal. Um, and then about a week before the race, I started to feel off. And I didn't know if it was a taper tantrum, you know, because you're not doing as much or if I was legitimately getting sick. And I felt really bad the day before the race and then the day of. And I realized, I think I posted probably mile two that I was legitimately sick. Uh, which really wasn't the way I had planned for the race to go, but you know, what are you going to do? I'm sure. And, and so I want to get into the details of that particular part, right? Like, Hey, you, you realize pretty early on, this isn't your day, but I am interested because it's a night start. So you referenced, we ran last man standing together, Southern tour back in January. You kicked my butt by like 14 miles, something like that. But oh. that, that was a night start. And so that was a nine o'clock PM start. I think this is a 6 PM start, but there's unique challenges with the night start, right? Is not only are you going into dark. So mentally, it sounds like something that was you, you were looking forward to, but I mean, gosh, even if you can sleep in, you know, unless you're kind of on a night shift and your, your rhythm is there, uh, I would imagine that it's a challenge because we were talking earlier I mean, heck, even if you get up at, what would you say, 10 you get up at 10, If you get up at like 10 a.m. that morning of the race, you're still looking at if you go into 36 hours, which again, most people are going to go 30 to 36 hours in this race, you're you're almost 44 hours awake. It's yeah. a long time to be on the side of a mountain when you're getting delirious. So what was the energy like at the start line? Like, put us there, tell us uh, about it. What was the buzz? What were you thinking? Go into that. Um, I did not feel great. I did not feel great for the start of the race. Now, the cutoff used to be 38 hours, but Ironman UTMB bought Grindstone this year. They, they actually added a hill at the very end, and then they took two hours off the cutoff. So there were a few things that were different with the race start, you know, and they had, I think, Trailrunner Magazine covered the race. So there was press there, and there were people. Um, I like to get in my own quiet little zone. And just kind of, you know, get in my my bubble. I really don't get nervous before these things. I try to put a lot of pressure on myself in training. So that come race day, I'm just excited and ready to go. So I hung out with Cal City kind of toward the uh, middle of the pack. And there were these women that worked with the, I don't know if it was UTMB or Trailrunner magazine. But they were finding all of the ladies in the race and saying, hey, you should come up to the front. And I said, no, I don't have any interest. Like, I'm where I need to be. I'm right in the middle. I don't want to be up at the front with the elite people. And um, she was fine. And then she came back and she asked me again, are you sure you don't want to go up to the front? We need more women in this sport. We really want to have women covered when they were taking pictures. So I grabbed another lady next to me that was running and we went up to the front and it was very awkward. <laughs> Uh, and we did the national anthem. And then as soon as that was done and they got their pictures, we snuck back to the middle. 
But yeah, I know. I know. So I don't know if that is a YouTube thing or not, but uh, it was it was interesting. Um, but otherwise, to answer your question, I did not feel great. So uh, we're going to jump a little bit on this. <clears throat> You've That's mentioned a few times that it was UTMB, Trail Runner Magazine. Um, your expectations going in would be a sub 24. Um, all that coming together um, would put you probably in contention to be up towards the front of that pack, even though you're saying you're wanting to stay in the middle. Do you know what the finishing time was for the top ladies this year? Mm, I don't. I want to say there was the one who won it. I think she's sponsored by Solomon. And I want to say it was 23 or 24. Right. She ran a great race. It was mm -hmm. a really great race. She's from Canada. So I want to reiterate the point that that was your actual goal time. Yes. Yeah. And so yes. ultimately, I think your your bigger expectation is you're, you're planning eventually get to UTMB as well, correct? I would love to. Yeah, they took the top three, men and women. Um, so that would still be the goal. I'd like to go back next year and see if I can redeem it under better circumstances for sure. So, so with that in mind, though, with the idea of having, you know, potential podium, potential top three, potential getting into UTMB as, as a potential, I guess, expectation, really, if you will, um, your training had been legit going into it. You said you felt a little odd, maybe the week or two going the last week prior to it. But ultimately, there was a lot of focus and intention that you had going into Grindstone with the long-term plan of UTMB and even doing, doing pretty well um, with your based off your training at Grindstone. Sure. At mile two, when things begin to derail, did you feel that type of pressure coming in also? I think the biggest pressure I felt, so I usually don't run with crew or pacers. I just do it all solo. And we had actually had friends that traveled with us to help crew me and help pace me. And so come mile two, when that started to go off the rails, my first thought was, oh, no. Like I have people that are legitimately invested in what we're doing here. They're so excited. Uh, two of my pacers are training for their first 50 miler at Beast of the East. And so this pacing portion fit perfectly in with their training runs. And I'm like, oh, I cannot deny them. You know, they were so excited. So I did feel pressured just because I didn't want to let my people down. And then it rounded back to, you know, Avery old girl. I don't want to let myself down either. Uh, so, yeah, there was a mental battle that started to happen in lieu of the physical uh, decline that made it pretty interesting from the get-go. So that may have answered part of my question, because I'll be honest, like when we were talking about it, like me personally, I read your post. I was like, okay, don't feel good. By mile two, I know this is a problem. This is not just, you know, some easy race, right? This is a long haul, hard technical race going into the night. My first thought was like, why did she get to mile 99, right? Most people would not have gotten, because I was like, what's the story in between there? And especially when you posted too, you said, hey, I really couldn't get nutrition until mile 60. And, and I was like, why did she make it to mile 60? You know, so like what kept you going? And that, you just maybe talked about some of it. Sure. But for most people, that wouldn't be enough is like when things get hard at some point, they're like, mm -hmm. oh, guys, sorry, I let you down. What kept you moving? Uh, well, I think, you know, it's not necessarily about the end goal, like what Jeff talked about. Yes, I had all these expectations, but sometimes there's so much beauty in the journey, regardless of whether you meet from point A to point B, you learn about yourself so much in the journey. So I thought, okay, I have no idea how this is going to go, but let me grit this out and see how far I can push it till the train comes off the track. That was my goal. And so I was hoping to just make a really epic journey out of whatever my legs would get me for however long they would do that. I think there's so much strength in that way of thinking. Because like I said, I mean, even my default was like, yeah, if I know that it's just going to be, I'm going to be on the struggle bus and probably not going to make this thing, like why would I keep moving forward? But it sounds like that's not what it was about for you, right? It's like, hey, how do I get the most out of myself in this moment and the ones that follow it and see where it leads, which there's a lot of power in to keep moving forward. Right. I mean, that's really the, that's really what is behind just show up is don't worry about the big picture. Just do what you got to do next. And, uh, it sounds like you had quite the epic journey. <laughs> it was quite the epic journey. Jeff, you look like you have a question. I do. Were you disappointed? 
Yes. At first I was disappointed. I think I gave myself a couple of hours to just have a pity party, you know, because I had put so much work into it and that's just not the way it went. But I think, you know, I mentioned earlier, just because you train really hard and you do all of the things, sometimes it just doesn't work out. And that's a lot like life. Uh, And that's just another reason I love the ultra running concept and community so much is that things aren't going to go your way. You know, how are you going to handle it? Who are you going to be? It's such a great teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I was disappointed at first, but then I thought, you know what, if my failure motivates somebody else to push hard or maybe to try to get the best out of themselves, then it was completely a hundred percent worth it. Yeah. And, and so the reason I asked about being disappointed, I, I don't have any, any qualms with asking people if they're disappointed with their goals sometimes, because we do set out with high expectations and it could be a time goal. It could be whatever it is. And um, when we begin to realize that we're not going to make it, that it's not going to be the day that we set out or hope for um, that can derail us. But what you, in my opinion, demonstrate through this and what we try to encourage folks to do is that if you don't get your A goal, B goal, C goal, or any of those other goals, you can, can still keep moving forward. And that is, is really the beauty of what you continue to do, because again, you go from, from this idea of what you're hoping for. Um, and it's really okay to say we get disappointed because we don't meet it. It's really what we do on the backside of that disappointment. That is what you're talking about here. And so, um, mile 60, you're moving forward. You should finally start to eat and everything you recognize by this point, I'm probably not going to get my a goal. I'm going to keep moving forward. You're moving sure. forward to mile 99. You and I had a, had a discussion about this in a coffee shop one day. And you told me you got, you get, you're getting close to 99. I, I don't know if you were at that point or not, but they came to you and they gave you the safety beacon. Oh, for the last runner. Yes. So that actually happened at the uh, 92 mile aid station. I was starting to go downhill. Um, and just I, when, by the time I could finally get nutrition in, I think I was already at such a deficit that it was just me trying to play catch up. So I get to mile 92 by the time Calcity, my husband starts pacing me. I was two minutes from the cutoff. They literally had to tell me the aid station captain run across the parking lot. You technically have to be past the aid station to make the cutoff. We'll bring food to you. Just go stand over there. Um, and then he, they actually did have to close the race down for anybody that was behind me. And I will say this, if you're chasing cutoffs and you do for whatever reason, miss the cutoff, be nice to your aid station captain, because the guy that he had to tell you're done is really ugly to him. It's for your safety. Just my own little PSA. It was hard to see. Um, so I get over on the pavement. They're trying to feed me and do all of the things. And the aid station captain gives Cal City this walkie-talkie. And he said, there's a safety beacon on this. If you get in a pickle, flip it on and we'll come get you. You're the last runner of the entire race now that's made the cutoff. So I was too tired for my ego at that point to really get in the way. <laughs> Talking about, you know, your A goal and the disappointment. I was, it was what it was. Um, and then we make it to mile 98 and I am just, I'm to the point where I can barely walk and I have to stop every 20 seconds and just lean on my poles. And Cassidy was, he was telling me, Avery, this is madness. Like, just call it. You know, we're probably not going to make the cutoff to these. You know, I think it's hard. It's hard for those that love us to watch us in that moment of insanity and struggle. But anyhow, I got to the point where I couldn't, I could hardly walk. And he made the decision, thank God, to uh, activate the beacon, right? So we're trying to figure out in the dark how to look this little walkie-talkie and get it to send the signal out. And while he's doing that, I decided to sit down on a trail. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to sit and wait. Well, I ended up falling asleep for three or four minutes and just, I had a solid power nap. And as I'm waking up, there are these two guys that come running down the trail. And I thought that is some first rate service. Like that was a really quick rescue. It was not because of the safety beacon. They were the sweepers on the course that were sweeping and taking down all of the directional signs. 
Um, but it was so cool how that worked out. So they came down and got me and radioed people and let them know. And they asked me, hey, can you make it one mile to the road and we'll have someone kind of pick you up? And they said, we can carry you if we need to. Well, I had a very nice four-minute power nap. <laughs> and I was like, no, I will walk. I will make it work. I will crawl. You will not carry me to the next or, you know, to the pickup. So we, we made it a final mile. And they came and picked me up and took me back to our campsite. But it was a... It was an interesting adventure. I wish there was a video of it. I'll be honest. <laughs> you know, I'm uh, here. <laughs> um, but, but here's the interesting thing. So the way you just told the story, I'm not going to say it differs, but it, it creates a different visual than uh, I think it was the email that you sent us. Either that or it was your post. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say the quote. And this is what sticks with me like mentally. It says, I can no longer walk, but was prepared to crawl to the finish. And then you talked about how it took Calcity almost an hour is what it said in there to plead with you. And you said it was like pleading with an addict to stop their total self-destruction. Yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> so, so it was that at that mile 98 point. That was before mile 98. Okay. I think pretty much. Yeah. I, well, you know, we actually thought I was going to make the cutoff from the uh, mile 928 station, but then I just continued to deteriorate from that point. So there was a good little bit before mile 98 where he was just begging me, like, let's just call it, let's quit. And I think my words were something like, but I want the buckle. And he's like, Avery, it's not about the buckle, it's about your health. You know, you can barely walk. My heart rate jacked up like I was doing intervals, just trying to walk. Wow. I was so exhausted. And so he was really scared I was going to have a heart attack or something was going to happen. And he said, we need to call it, please. And because my husband is very patient, it did. It took probably about an hour of him pleading with me where I finally decided to let him know, hey, let's, let's activate the safety beacon and do what we need to do. But I will say, after the four-minute power nap, I felt pretty good. I got felt a little better. <laughs> that might have just been the, the delirium talking. Um, but when we made that final mile crawl, so to speak, down to the road, my mind started working with, well, maybe I'm still in this. Maybe I can still finish. I was totally crazy. I was not all there. Um, so I'm grateful that he helped me to stick with the decision of, no, we've activated the beacon or we're done. What'd you learn about yourself? <sighs> that I'm really stubborn, maybe sometimes to a fault. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. You, you're never, well, you know, the Navy SEALs have the saying, you're never out of the fight. I mean, even if you have to crawl, maybe that's not the best logical decision. But I mean, if we're talking life or death, which sometimes I like to play in my mind, and these races, like it's life or death, it's very motivating that way. You know, you can crawl. You can, as long as you can keep moving forward, do it. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Like I said, I wish I wish I had that conversation or that that clip. It would make a great uh, kind of <laughs> epic cinematic. You know, <laughs> well, there was a coyote that uh, started howling right around the time that I sat down. And it was so funny because it was Cassidy's first night run on the trails ever. And this coyote, we hear him in front of us. And then after I sit down, he's kind of off to the left and then to behind and to the right. And we had this joke that maybe he thought that I was dying and he was circling <laughs> our position. But um, I mean, hey, it was not funny then, but it's funny now. <laughs> well, just real quick uh, before we drop off Grindstone. Um, so you you mentioned at the very beginning um, that you were running 80 to 90 mile weeks. You're running twice a day um, and you live on the East Coast with us where it is flat. You you love these mountain runs and Grindstone, like like Jeremy said, it has 21,000 feet of gain. Um, so it's substantial um, in your training. Uh, we know also that you, um, your coach is one of our former guests, uh, Mark Bottenhorn, um, as well. And when it comes to your training, what did you do specifically to prepare uh, for it other than the mileage? Uh, we actually did a lot of speed work. 
which at first I questioned. Mark is amazing and patient. I tend to question him on all of the things. Uh, so we did a lot of speed intervals and we were hoping that would translate. You know, you use similar muscles when you sprint as to when you move uphill. Uh, so that actually, I feel like worked really well. It's hard to gauge it because I was sick and I wasn't feeling, you know, like I normally would have. But so we did speed work and then uh, treadmill hikes. Mm. So we get on the treadmill, crank up the incline. I would wear a weighted vest and just hike it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I watched videos on running technique and hiking, or not running, sorry, walking technique. I always say I'm a strong runner, but I have a hard time walking with the right form. Um, so there was a saying that stuck with me for hiking. And they said, don't put your best foot forward, but push your best foot backward. Hmm. And they talked about, you know, and I, I thought about that. So to really try to engage the posterior chain when you're hiking and it should come from your glutes and your hamstrings. So a lot of watching technique on hiking, doing the hiking, and then the speed work. So in other words, using your feet to push you forward and not pull you forward. Don't reach yeah. with your foot to pull you. It doesn't make sense what she's saying. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So one last thing just for, uh, I guess, specifics here and clarity. The treadmill hikes that you did, how long? Uh, anywhere from half an hour to an hour and a half. And how many times a week? Two to three. Okay. And that mm-hmm. was on top of the, obviously the daily running or whatever he had you running as well. Yes. Awesome. But that made a huge impact. Mm-hmm. Probably more than most listeners would recognize or, or think. Yeah, because if you can walk on a treadmill for an hour or hike on a treadmill for an hour at a 16% incline or whatever it is, um, you're not going to find many mile, uh, two or three miles going up the same. Like you're not going to find much longer than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just the difference in, in muscle engagement. Yeah. Oh, like from a sustained hike is what I'm trying to say. Like the sustained amount of hiking up a hill that's yeah. for over a mile or two miles that you're doing that. And it's a long time. So Sure. That and I would uh, I'd run the bridge on Oak Island. So yep. do bridge repeats. So I feel like with the treadmill, you can get the up, but the down is so important. So to be able to just run up and then get the sustained downhill was really beneficial for the quads, I think. Fantastic. I remember a great post about that too, about you uh, running early and then somebody seen you and they come back a few hours later while you were still running the bridge. They were like, yeah. who is this person that <laughs> has been running the bridge for three hours? But that's pretty cool. Grindstone taught you a lot of lessons. Yeah. Well, and uh, so I'm registered for least to the East in December. I'm on the wait list for another hundred miler for November 4th. Ooh. I know. I know. Monkey wrench. Uh, so I, I actually waitlisted for this race back in June. I was number 114 on the wait list. I have moved up to number 10. Um, I know. It's the Rim to River 100 Miler in West Virginia. Yep. Yeah, so I talked with Mark about it because I like to get his go-ahead with any crazy scheme that I have. So if I can get Coach on board, then I feel pretty confident to do it. Um, and he said, yeah, let's let her rip or at least attempt it. So I don't have any kind of goals for Dream to River if I get in or Beast of the East just to see it to completion. But we're kind of making tentative plans right now to do both, which I'm super excited about. We are weak. Well, there's two, <laughs> there's two big bonuses is one is you didn't get to put kind of your full readiness on display because of not feeling well right but the bottom line is you did the work and you still got the fitness so i actually think being able to roll into something like sooner than later what she covered 99 miles i know i know (laughs) but i guarantee it wasn't at the intensity that she would have been able to right so one i think i mean knowing your level of fitness but two if it's november 4th that's when this episode drops and you get to listen to yourself, you know, yourself talk for an hour while you're out crushing a hundred miles. So that'd be, should I do that? Like during one of my lows, play it. <laughs> yes. And you if listen- you keep replaying it, it gives us a couple more downloads. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> just put it on repeat for the hundred miles. Um, but you get to listen to your, you know, your family lessons. That'll help you get, get through, you know, and that's true. the story of grindstone. And that way you can get your redemption. 
No, I think it's so good though. Uh, I, I'm very impressed. I'm actually probably more impressed with the story of getting to mile 99 than I am. If you would have gone out and done a 24 hour, because again, one is, I mean, to be honest, almost like meeting expectations. I know what you're capable of. The other one was like, I was like, Oh my gosh, like how did she muster the strength to do that? Because I, I think it's harder than having a race go well, right. At least mentally. Of course, if you'd gotten sub 24 at grindstones, we'd be talking about UTMB right now. Well, just dig that knife in, Jeff. I'm just telling you. <laughs> and she, like, I'm friends with her. I can say this to her. She knows I am like amped up looking for her to get into UTMB because I'm going to live vicariously through this. <laughs> like, either way, Beast of the East, like I said, um, so we did the, the race spotlight. No joke. Uh, it seems like it's going to be a fantastic race uh, right up your alley. I'm excited to see how that goes. Now, I assume that no matter what happens on November 4th, you're, you're still planning on doing that? Yes. Okay. Yep. Just knock them out both, right? And then I'll go yeah, home and why? feel sad about myself because, <laughs> because I don't have anything on the calendar. Yeah, but I actually Avery. think Beast of the East, Ray Spotlight is the week before this comes out. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about your lessons. We've talked about Grindstone. One of the other things that you've been vocal is not the right word, but that you've really communicated about is the impact that the ultra community has had on you. It seems like that is something that has been a very good, I don't know if change is the right word, but what is it about the ultra community that you love so much? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I feel like they're like a big family if that makes any sense, uh, to give you context for that during the grindstone, I got into mile 70 something. I sat down and they had the expo before the race. So I had chit chatted with a few people and I come to the aid station and I'm just trashed. And this guy starts shouting my name. I'm like, Avery, you made it. He's so excited that I'm into this aid station. So I'm thinking, do I know who this is? Like, I, I don't know this guy, but he seems to know me. And I have that battle. So I go to sit down and it's the aid station captain. And he said, we have been watching you all afternoon because there had been so many people that had tapped out and mm. quit. And he said, we were hoping that you would make it. We've been cheering you on. Like, so they already knew who I was and they're watching my progress. And he said, we're so glad that you made it. Um, and so just that, and you wouldn't find that kind of encouragement in normal everyday life, or if you do, it's in small pockets, but his encouragement. And then I sat down and I forgot a towel to uh, dry my feet off. I was switching my shoes out. And this guy next to me had a clean towel that he was saving for a friend that was still in the race. He didn't hesitate. He said, here, take my towel, wipe your dirty filthy feet. He didn't say that. But like just the kind of kindness and generosity that I have found within this community, man, it has restored my faith in people. You won't find nicer, kinder, just more selfless people. But somewhere out there, there's a runner that's like, I don't know about these ultra people because they'll use my <laughs> towel that was way <laughs> to wipe their yes. dirty feet with. Right. There might be that. <laughs> <laughs> So we're all such an accepting community that I'm sure it'd be okay. But yeah. We'll talk to him next week. Right. Uh, (laughs) Obviously it's no joke. The community means so much to us. I loved actually when you uh, communicate about in the email, the quote was, do you want to feel fiercely accepted and supported? Like essentially that's how you describe that. And I couldn't agree more. So well, look, we are very excited about the things you got coming up, continuing to follow your progress. I think there are incredible things in store for you. I think that you're probably just scratching the surface in what your capabilities are. We are going to keep you around for a game that we do for Patreon. So don't go anywhere just yet. But for the Ultra Running Guys family, thank you so much for tuning in. If you are finding the value, please share with your friends. It really does mean the world to us but avery thank you so much for the time thank you so much for the patience uh for both both the technical stuff and for me dealing with a little bit of a head cold uh, but we just appreciate you so much oh anytime thank you guys for having me thank you you were awesome
Yeah, absolutely. All right, stick around. And for everybody else, we'll talk soon. Cut. Cut. Can you hear me? Oh, Lord. <laughs> I can hear you. I can't wait to see what my gift is tomorrow. No, oh, Jeremy has one too. And they're Ugh, always. And they're yeah. different? Yeah. You yeah. always get something. Can I see where they both are? Right now? Well, I mean, I want to pick. Well, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Finger. <laughs> yeah. So you have to forgive me if I like, I'm trying not to like drip out of my face. <laughs> Strawberry or grape jelly? Strawberry. Nice and fast. I'm great. Really? And grapes cheaper, which means that strawberry is the higher demand. They, they actually charge more for strawberry. <laughs> I actually use jam. You have a, you have a Mac or a, um, please say a Mac. Some Microsoft. Oh yeah, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> we we have a, an Apple and a non-Apple uh, rivalry. So Ugh. you don't know. He mute. I'd hear all this stuff. Yeah, he just hears me. Really? <laughs> 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 uh, keep, a, uh, keep smiling, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm trying to get him to know that he can take a, a, a Kleenex break if need be, which I guess he's going to go do right now. All right, let's what, see. What kind of phone do you have? I have an iPhone. All right, it's phone. So I'm downloading. <laughs>